welcome to the new Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, and I know a lot of you are listening because you used to listen to us on radio. Hopefully, we'll be back there someday. But in the meantime, we are doing this podcast, and we would love to get your thoughts on it because we're going to be trying a couple of different things with it. We're going to be trying different formats. Jason Cochran will come in sometimes. Zach will be here sometimes. My father hopefully will be doing a segment each week. And we want to know what you like, what you think sucks, what you think really works. So the best way to do that is to email me at FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. So once again, that's Fromer, F-R-O-M-M-E-R, Travel Show at Yahoo.com. Today is podcast type number two. We're going to start by looking back at some of the weird things we had in the early Fromer guidebooks and then talking about them. Uh, Talk about what their equivalents are today, why we would never do this now, why maybe we have done something as cringeworthy today. To help me do that, let me welcome back to the show, back to the podcast, Zach Thompson. He is the managing editor of Fromers.com. Hey, Zach, thanks for joining me again. Hi, Pauline. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's a delight as always. And Zach has on his bookshelves a whole slew of ancient Fromer guides. Back in the days when the the cover wasn't even a photo, it was always a drawing. Uh, my father had a really great colleague when he was a lawyer. He started these books when he was working at Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. Uh, and he had a, a friend at the law firm who drew on the side, and he is the man who drew the first form from her covers. Really? What was uh, that man's name? Do you know? Oh, gosh. You, oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I stumped, you yeah. asked- <laughs> you stumped me. I'll bring Didn't that back you. next time. That wasn't a gotcha hoping, question. It was well before I was born. So uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'll, I'll ask my dad and, and we'll tell about that next time. So they're great. And it's, uh, that's when the books were like New York on $5 a day, which you, you wouldn't make it to breakfast with before. Spending. Well, you know, people often say that to me and I always point out that because of the sharing economy, you could potentially do it on $5 a day oh, really? once, once travel gets back. I mean, you know, you could do global freeloaders or couchsurfers.com and stay in somebody's house for free. There are people who will feed you for free. There's a really great organization called Women Welcome Women, which is women all over the world who want to meet other women travelers. And they put out a directory of people all over the world uh, all X, two X chromosome people, so not for men, but women, uh, who will have you over for dinner, who will answer your questions over the phone, who might even put you up in their apartment or home when you're in a place. For free. So for free. Yeah, that's just, cool. Just for kicks and giggles. That's cool. So, and you know, uh, solo travel is such a popular thing. And I think um, some women travelers are worried about safety when they do that. So that's a great option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes, it's. I think that's. It was started by a British woman who got very jealous that her child was doing a, an educational exchange for. A oh, semester. like a, mm-hmm. during college and, or something. Yeah, and having this incredible uh, cultural experience where they got to live in a local's home and really got to dig deep into the culture. And so she decided to start this for women, and now they have. 
hundreds of thousands of members in pretty much every country or all around the world. That's neat. What's the group called again? Women Welcome Women. Women, www. Well, yeah, although I think you'll get something else (laughs) if you go to that. I'm not sure what. World Wide Web. Yeah, just the Weight Watchers. Anyway, (laughs) so we looked back at some of the more cringeworthy suggestions in Fromer's guidebooks. And here's here's a couple of the interesting things we, we found. This is from Japan on $5 and $10 a day. This was an actual suggestion made. And I quote, the maze of residential streets above Shianbashi in Nagasaki is quite fascinating. Along streets, lanes, and alleys that are so narrow that you'll almost be almost in the living room of the houses to each side is where real life of the lower middle classes is lived. A gnarled old lady seated naked on a small bath stool scrubs herself in a dark alley while her family sprawls around on the tatami mats of the living room watching television. A young woman about to undress stops startled as she catches sight of a gaijin foreign face passing the window. So, yeah, our our author knew that there were naked people in these alleyways. This is from 1969. And wouldn't you be startled, too, if uh, some foreigner popped his head into your house while you're in your underpants? I certainly would. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if these alleys are considered parts of the houses. But, you know, this is so this was a suggestion that we made because we were trying to get people closer to the local culture, something we were just discussing with Women Welcome Women. We are not the last organization to make that suggestion and in as potentially mm, privacy, uh, what's the word? Uh, Violating? (laughs) Violating. Yes. Privacy violating away. (laughs) There was a company called Soundwalks. I'm not sure if it exists anymore. It was this walking tour company that I wrote about maybe about a decade ago. They They were in the Bronx? The they were all over. They oh. were all over. They had they had tours in the Bronx. They had tours in in all parts of New York City, in Chicago, in Rome, in Paris. And this was before GPS. So you would walk from place to place, and you would hear footsteps, tick, click, 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 and you would match your footsteps so you'd go to the right places because they wouldn't give you maps. They would just oh, tell it was you, an app or a it was a web thing. It was a downloadable thing. Wasn't a cassette tape. I mean, it was a decade ago, so it was on the web. But so you would you would go from place to place, and they and match they, the sound of the footsteps that you hear. And you match the crazy, step, but you also went to places you weren't supposed to. Like for example, they had a Chinatown tour that walked you into a senior citizen center. They said, just open this door and you will suddenly see hundreds of old Chinese people playing mahjong. And you did. And there they were. Or yeah. there, was an, there, there was another one in Chinatown where they, gate, they said, push open the door at this uh, uh, building. It's never locked. Go up to the fourth floor. There's a crack in the door. You can look through that. Oh, I don't know. I and don't know about that. They said it was like an old member of the the Italian, or not, I don't want to say Italian mafia, but the mafia in New York City. Doing what? Uh, well, you didn't do that. You didn't follow that those suggestions, I hope. I did. I didn't see oh. them. <laughs> it's just an Im- What was in there? I did. 
It, you just saw his apartment, but you could literally see into the guy's oh, that apartment. that seems like a violation. I mean, of the I'm kind a of, violation of the mafia's privacy. Oh, well, the violation of everybody's privacy. There was another one in Brooklyn where you pushed the code to get into a building and went up to the roof and looked at their beautiful view, which was not quite as as privacy violating, but yeah. still. Well, you- I, I remember uh, you mentioning that I was working on a story about the Bronx and I remember looking them up and I think they're gone. Maybe it's that the company Soundwalks. The Soundwalks? Possibly I because- they got sued. <laughs> I was going to say, possibly because they did question- recommended questionable things. Yeah, there absolutely. Is that, there's always that balance you want to you have as a tourist where you're a visitor in a culture and you you want the it's a kind of an annoying word but you want that authentic experience but you have to balance that between violating or exploiting the people who live there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always the thing. I mean, for me, I've always felt very lucky as a traveler because I've traveled with what others might consider disabilities in that for a long time, I traveled with my kids. And so when you go places with children, A, people never think you're a travel writer. So I reviewed a lot of restaurants while also disciplining my kids. And when I was taking notes, nobody thought, oh, she's reviewing us. Yeah, that's a good disguise. (laughs) But also, I went to a lot of playgrounds with them where you would meet people and get to speak with people in a natural way. I mean, that's the most difficult thing for travelers to do is to actually meet locals. And yeah. that's always the highlight of any trip. Oh, I yeah. Find. And that's the way to get those ex- authentic experiences people are after, to talk to locals instead of yeah. peering into locals. Right. And so I always recommended going to playgrounds whenever I would eat alone in a place. Uh, Well, I would, before I would go to a place, I would use social media and I would ask all my friends to lend me friends so I could take them out to dinner. Or I would sit at the bar and just strike up conversations. That's harder now uh, because everybody kind of sits at the bar staring at their devices. Or or trying to maintain six feet of distance. Oh, well, yes. I I mean, now, 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 now you're not going to do that. There's not bars that are open, but what what did you do to, to, I've done the thing you do too, where I I, uh, trawl my social media for people, you know, because it's always, it always, they know the best places to hang out and the best bars and the best, remember bars, but they always know the best, uh, they always know the best locals. It gives you a richer experience. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's read the second uh, cringeworthy piece from an old Fromer guide. This is from Spain on $5 a day, 1966. In our earliest, just the, and this is from an article on Fromers.com. So uh, we wrote, "In in our earliest, just the facts listing for cockfighting in Puerto Rico and bullfighting in Mexico, 1960. You'll look in vain for signs of concern for the animals killed as part of these entertainments. Spain on $5 a day in 1966 acknowledges that many tourists consider bullfighting, quote, cruel and shocking, but nevertheless asserts, quote, you haven't really experienced Spain until you've been to a bullfight. Oh, boy. What do you think? I think that's that. Hemingway uh, view of Spain that it's an it, that bullfighting is an integral part of the country, but I think I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, Catalonia has banned it. I think in 2010, a mm. lot of um, animal activists are. Um, I actually, when we were, I found out we were going to talk about this, I looked uh, at how at what 
what's happening with that right now. And um, coronavirus has really, oh, uh, yeah, interesting. ended it. And there and there are some left wing activists who are hoping that'll uh, kill it once and for all. Well, the, no pun intended. I do. I I I I don't think that in one of the animal groups I was um, researching mentioned this. Uh, and they were saying, and I think it's a good point that um, culture is no excuse for cruelty. Like uh, mm. s- saying that it's an integral part of your culture to like torture an animal in public. I don't think that uh, that makes it okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the interesting thing about putting out these guidebooks today is we've been in an ongoing conversation with uh, groups that deal with animal cruelty. Uh, And it's been an interesting conversation because a lot of them really want us not to even mention uh, places where they think animal cruelty is happening. Uh, But in certain cases, these are major organizations and in, and that that uh, put to work a lot of people, and in other cases, there's a case to be made that what seems cruel to an outsider may not be cruel. I I I, I stumbled upon this when I was editing a book on Thailand. Oh yeah, well, a, they have a whole the controversy with elephants and elephants, elephant sanctuaries yes. and whether they're actually legit and exactly the whole thing about riding them. Yeah. Right. Well, the thing about uh, elephants in Thailand is that for centuries, ele- uh, Asian elephants, which are the Asi- the elephants in Thailand, which are actually smaller, smaller than African ones. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Smaller than African ones. And they were used for logging. They were used for agriculture. They were used for transporting the royal family hither and thither. And in, I think it was 1989, logging in Thailand as an economic economic activity was uh, stopped entirely. And overnight, uh, thousands of men who are called matuts, these are people who take care of the elephants and used, were using them for these jobs, were out of work. And they had these creatures to take care of. An elephant eats 10% of its weight every single day of its life. Uh, So they were left with incredibly expensive animals to feed and take care of. And some of them turned to tourism and some of them did it in an incredibly cruel way by teaching these elephants animal tricks or uh, circus tricks, I should say. And and to teach them those tricks, they used pretty hair raising methods, whipping and beating and making these animals miserable. As well, some put platforms on their backs so that people could ride them, Mm -hmm. which is again, another very, very cruel practice that none of us should participate in. But in more recent years, there have been organizations which are trying to use tourism to the benefit of these elephants, setting up conservation areas, teaching people about their habits, maybe allowing people to ride them bareback, which is a controversial thing, but maybe not as definitely not as painful as putting a platform on the back and maybe not bad. Um, And it's allowing people to keep these beautiful creatures fed. Uh, But once we printed the book, we still got slammed, even though we went into all of the details that I just went into about uh, uh, what the situation is 
and the economics of it, because there's going to be economics of it. Yeah, the the thing about the logging that's interesting because it it does uh, uh, the the human aspect to it. I think with um, the the idea from the animal. Uh, rights people's point of view uh the world animal protection says this the humane society and of course PETA, uh they take a very hard line stance but um is that uh those animal wild animals belong in the wild and that's where they should be experienced so anything where right. they shouldn't be um so like national parks and legitimate sanctuaries are okay but anything where you're like handling them or um touching them or riding them or they're performing or they're in cages is not how they were meant to be, I think is what the animal Yeah, I mean, the the flip side of that for Thailand is there are very few na- natural areas left. And limited space. Animals yeah. could roam freely. Yeah, and with riding, so. what I read was it's not natural for animal uh they're not like domesticated domestication friendly so it's not natural for them to accept people on their back so to, to so to get them to do that in some cases they have to like condition the animal and that can get very cruel to get them right. to allow people to ride on their backs so yeah it's very touchy and uh and it's hard to find the balance like i don't know are camel rides okay because <laughs> they're more like i don't know if they're more domestic and more like horses. I mean, there, it depends on, it isn't very, as you say, very important to do your research to make sure that the group that you're, and not just on TripAdvisor, I think you should do deep research to make sure that the animals are being treated well and fed and taken care of and yeah. not yeah, being neglected. Absolutely. There, there, one group that I know of that uh, only that vets these things very uh closely is a, a tour operator called responsible travel do you know them they uh, i think they're yes. uk based but they have uh-huh. they have all they have very high standards and um so that's a place to try responsible travel uh, yeah and there's a jeff greenwald's organization jeff is this amazing travel writer turned activist he and i often teach at the book passage travel writers conference in Cordy madera california which unfortunately was canceled this year as everything was <laughs> but uh jeff has uh, he is ethicaltraveler.com i believe uh he's got a wonderful podcast and uh uh, does a lot of, of of research so that people can travel more ethically if they're traveling at all, which leads us into our next topic. Uh, as anybody who listens to this podcast and previously the radio show knows, we cover the news extensively on Fromers.com. And it, one of the biggest issues for travel has been, is flying safe? I think a lot of people have just assumed that it wasn't because they knew that in the past they took a flight for somewhere to somewhere and came down with a lousy cold after they flew. And so mm-hmm. they think, well, if that didn't work, why should I, you know, if, if that caused that uh, minor annoyance, won't I be in even bigger trouble with coronavirus all over the atmosphere? The answer is probably not, especially if you're wearing a mask. Um, The Department of Defense, about six months ago, started working with United Airlines to do a number of tests in the air in actual flying conditions in 
United Airlines planes. Now, to keep everyone safe, the only human beings on these flights were the pilots, and they had a whole bunch of mannequins set up. And these mannequins were breathing out. They were exhaling aerosols of the exact size of the coronavirus, of the, of the not coronavirus, but of the aerosols that we human the, beings. Yeah, the droplets. The droplets. So they, Worst the word. Aerosol. I hate that word, <laughs> droplets. So disgusting. Yeah. And the photos are creepy as all get out of those mannequins sitting in planes <laughs> with masks on there. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the, they were also wearing masks, I think it's important to point out. So they were fake yes. coughing up there. They were fake in coughing. In fact, it was apparently the worst coughing uh, uh, explosion that's ever hit an air, airplane. You had hun- you know, you had a hundred mannequins coughing all at once. It was like the TB ward of of a department <laughs> store at night. Yeah, right. But they found that despite all of this, with the masks on, and because every commercial airliner out there has HEPA-grade filters, HEPA-grade is the same type of filters that's used in hospitals, and because the air on planes is circulated vertically rather than horizontally as it is in most commercial areas. I think that's important. I think people think that's why they get colds, I think, right? Because they think it's circulated throughout the interior of the plane, and it's not. But it's not. Right. People get. I think people people get colds on planes because they touch the uh, a tray table, the which is which is more dirtier than most toilet handles, and they touch like the armrests, and then they put that the, their dirty fingers to their faces, or they go through airports and they're with all those people. Right, and that's the thing. So we know that. So so they found that you get you have a chance of of getting your chance of getting coronavirus on a plane is 0.003%. It slim. gets hot. It's slim. And it doesn't matter if you're in the aisle seat, the middle seat, uh, the uh, window seat, first class, uh, steerage class, does not matter. Um, and they, uh, so you had those tests, but you also have the fact that no major outbreak has ever been linked to an airplane. That's true. Which I, in, in, it, 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 the only ones happened within the first month before people were mar- wearing masks. Mm-hmm. So to me, this 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 shows it's reasonably safe. And it's frankly, I have flown a couple of times uh, and felt fairly safe. Does when you flew, were the middle seats left empty? I know Delta, I think, is the only one left doing that. Well, and Southwest announced that they're ending that on December 1st. Did you see that? Brand new. Delta Delta is Delta, Delta is as well. Is ending it in 2021. Oh, in January, so, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've got to write about this for Fromers. But <laughs> did you think were the middle seats empty on the flight you flew? On I flew a bunch of flights. Uh, believe it or not, I had some family emergencies, and I was for the radio show. I had to fly to Traverse City. Oh, you had to so, change planes in Chicago or something. Uh, no, no, that was a direct flight. Uh, but, uh, I, so I've been on different carriers, uh, and it's been interesting. Uh, I, I've done Delta, I've done United and I've done American, have not done JetBlue yet. Oh, no, that's not right. I did JetBlue once too. And 
for Delta, yes, all the middle seats were empty, which made me feel better. On one of my flights, it wasn't fully full. And so I moved and I moved to the right place. The guy next to me tried to move to an exit row and he got kicked out because <laughs> I guess you, you need to be able to uh, follow the directions and they didn't feel. Oh, yeah. Was, there's all those I, regulations. There's mm-hmm. all those regulations about. So. But the other ones, I was sitting shoulder to shoulder and it was nerve wracking. On one flight, I did have to yell at a guy next to me to pull up his mask. But for the most part, well, you know, he he looked ashamed and kind of just did it sheepishly. For the the most part, I found that that people were wearing their masks. Something I didn't see in the Department of Defense test, does it matter the density of passengers on the plane? So were they testing it by current standards? That's interesting. I think they were testing it in all different ways. I mean, they okay. did over 300 tests. Okay. Um, a bunch of different uh, but configurations. We actually, on Fromers.com, and we, we welcome you visiting us there. We hope you will. We put a link to the PDF with the test results. So if you want to take a deep dive into this, you absolutely can. Yeah. So long story short, I personally think it's safe to fly. The problem is where the hell do you fly to with the coronavirus numbers going up? I mean, I don't know where you go. Yeah. It used to be, uh, the first wave was centralized in the Northeast. And then the second one was in the South. And then the third one, there's like, they're like, it's America. It's the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's really frightening. Scary. So riddle uh, me this. Do you think the federal government is doing enough to protect travelers? There's no. been no mask mandate, no. They, there's no testing or tracing program. What do you think about that? I actually, I actually wrote an uh, a, an op-ed about this on Fromers.com. Uh, Thirty-three transportation workers unions, and this wasn't just airplanes. This was ferry workers, ferry captains, and the mm-hmm. people who work at the snack bar on the mm-hmm. ferry. Uh, bus drivers, train conductors, train drivers, uh, uh, and plane personnel, pilots, stewards, etc. They all begged the federal government in a very official way. They did a petition in July asking that there be federal mandates because they said quite reasonably, we're we're passing state lines. We're going over state lines or we're up in the air or we're in the water between states. There is nobody regulating this. Department of Transportation, Elaine Chow, who is the head of it, please regulate this. And they declined in, in a pretty shocking way. They said that regulations are meant to regulate market impacts. So they basically were saying human health is not something we have to worry about here at the Department of Transportation. That was not stated straight out, but that's all you could take away from it is if it has nothing to do with the market, we're not going to regulate it. Yeah, which has been their kind of their MO throughout the crisis. Just to do nothing. Yeah. Well, yes. I was going to say that throughout their history, of course, they've done things for safety. I mean, they're the people. Well, yeah. Isn't the FAA part of the Department of Transportation? That's their whole thing. Investigating accidents and safety. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And and stopping smoking on planes and all kinds of wearing seatbelts. Yeah. Yes. So it it, it's been a shocking turnaround, Um, and they still haven't made things better but no from the start i mean the from the the very first thing i remember was they asked are there going to be temperature checks at tsa and they were like no 
And then, so are you going to make people wear masks on planes? And they're like, no. I think this week the CDC issued a, like a strongly worded letter where they were like, people should wear masks, and if they don't, they should get kicked off. But the it's hard to know how if that has any teeth because there's no right. enforcement behind it, and the uh, federal the Trump administration has been kind of undercutting the CDC and its guidance from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there we are. Uh, I guess the, the key is nowadays doing your research. We cover this all on fromers.com. All right. We are going to go to our final segment of the show, which is my dad, Arthur Fromer. He will be on next Arthur Fromer for anybody tuning in for the first time. Uh, founded the Fromer Guidebook 63 years ago, and he is still going strong. And Here all of is. those bad recommendations we made, were none of them are written by Arthur Fromer. Okay. <laughs> yes, because he hired other, other writers <laughs> to write later books. That's good to note. All right. Here he is, Arthur Hello Fromer. there, and let me welcome you again. I'm Arthur Fromer, founder of the Fromer Travel Guides. Now, it is surely no secret, no secret at all, that the pandemic and its accompanying lockdowns has injured the sale of travel guides and especially the sale of international travel guides, guidebooks to London, Paris, Rome, and Madrid. They simply are not selling uh, to the same extent that they used to. The fact that Americans are no longer traveling internationally to any great degree has reduced the number of international travel guides that are buying books in bookstores. They they are turning instead, the public is turning instead to a number of domestic guidebooks dealing with travel in the United States and Canada. But although domestic travel guides are still being bought, although in smaller quantities, there are still at least 10 titles that are continuing to enjoy sales and there is no argument with the fact that these 10 titles are continuing to reflect the decision by the public to continue traveling there. Now, travel guide number one in continuing sales is our own guidebook to Yellowstone National Park. And though we might argue with that decision by the public, we should point out that a trip to Yellowstone must be accompanied by a decision to reserve accommodations in hotels or cabins associated with Yellowstone. Yellowstone National Park, with its emissions of hot air and smoke from the underlying earth of that park, is a phenomenon that simply cannot be denied. Number two in sales is our guidebook to Canada's BAMF, B-A-N-F-F. The equivalent in that Canadian park to Yellowstone in America, Banff, uh, remains popular and apparently is regarded by the public as being almost entirely safe for their travels. Number three in sales is the American coast of the state of Maine, the American Maine coast. People continue to buy guidebooks to the coast of Maine which is dotted by picturesque goat lines with their lobster dinners. Apparently, lobsters lobsters overcome the fear of COVID-19. Now, ranking close 
to the main coast of America is New England. New England in general, the New England area is apparently regarded with favor by those Americans who continue to travel by car within our country. Fifth, although much less favored than Yellowstone, uh, than Yellowstone National Park is California's Yosemite National Park, which apparently continues to enjoy a modicum of travel by Americans, especially by those who are already in Northern California. And then grouped together in terms of their small popularity are the following, are Hawaii, Ireland, Portugal, and Athens. Although it would be stretching matters to claim that their purchase of travel guides by a significant is by a significant number, that's not the case, but a, at least a tangible number of Americans continue to purchase those particular titles. And there you have it, the 10 guidebook titles that continue to be purchased by a small but tangible number of Americans. You might want to copy them. And I'm Arthur Frommer with our continuing website, thepopularfrommers.com. You've been listening to the Frommer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Frommer. Please stay healthy, stay safe. And go vote. Happy Halloween as well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and go vote. Happy Halloween as well. We'll see you next week.